Sam, are you about ready? Yes, it's a glorious three-hour finale. You got a minute and a half. <gasps> For your own safety and the safety of other drivers, please do not bump the car ahead of you or stop your car in the middle of the track. Ellen, since this is your dream, we'll let you make the first selection. All right, Alex. Uh, I will take meeny, um, meeny, miny, uh, Fossil fuels for, uh, well, let's go for 100. Fine, the answer is... WDW Radio, your information station. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the WDW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. I am your host, Lou Mangiello, and this is show number 313 for the week of February 24th, 2013. I'm here to help you have the best possible Disney vacation experience and bring you a little bit of Disney magic wherever you are with this podcast, my videos, blog, live broadcasts, events, my Walt Disney World trivia books, audio tours, and more. You can find everything over at WDWRadio.com. This week's podcast is brought to you by our friends over at Audible.com. You can get a free audiobook download at audibletrial.com slash WDWRadio with more than 100,000 titles to choose from. You can download it for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Audible has a number of great Disney titles as well, including Ridley Pearson's Kingdom Keeper series. You can sign up for free over at audibletrial.com slash WDWRadio. So this week, we're going to continue exploring Disney's Boardwalk Resort as we recently spent time wandering the lobby and lounge to discover the stories, history, and details. Now, come with us as we virtually tour the Luna Park pool area and discover what inspired this play area and its money details. Then, follow along with me and Jim Corcus as we wander the promenade around Crescent Lake, stopping to discuss the boardwalk, shops, restaurants, and details, both inside and out. We'll also discuss the boardwalk that might have been and the concepts that never made it to reality. I'll then have the answer to our last Walt Disney World trivia question of the week and pose a new challenge for your chance to win a Disney prize package. I'll also announce a new WW Radio event and meet coming in March before playing some of your voicemails at the end of the show. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WW Radio Show. explored on show number 310 the stories, the history, both real and imagineered, the details, and so much more about one of my favorite resorts here at Walt Disney World. It's Disney's Boardwalk. And we are back again, sitting outside this time. We talked about the lobby. We talked about the decor and the theming and uh, the Bellevue Lounge. But now we're sitting outside on the promenade. And as I sit here Anyone who's ever been to Atlantic City or Coney Island and has strolled the boardwalks will certainly recognize the inspiration for so many of the different elements out here 
that Disney has brought into this experience. So as we continue our journey exploring Disney's Boardwalk Resort, I am joined once again by my good friend, fellow funnel cake lover and Disney historian and author, Jim Corcus. And again, yeah, I had a, I had a lot of fun uh, with you on, the, on uh, uh, show 310, uh, going through and discovering all those uh, details inside. And, and now we've got an opportunity to talk about uh, outside. I also want to give a, a, a shout out uh, uh, to Bruce, who put in uh, some comments in the comment section. And Bruce, you are absolutely right. Uh, steeplechase, uh, the steeplechase ride, those were wooden horses. It was a steel track. There was also a different version of it uh, somewhere else besides Coney Island. And you're also right, the flip-flap railroad was, railway was not taken from uh, Coney Island uh, to Atlantic City. Atlantic City built an exact duplicate, and they sometimes called that uh, loop-the-loop or looping uh, the loop. Because in those days... Um, intellectual property nobody cared they saw something they didn't even have to change the color here we're just going to build this elsewhere and so i also bring that out not not only to give uh, bruce his, his props but but for the rest of you if you have uh other things to to add we'd love love to hear them in the comments section uh you know or uh if you've heard a, a, a different version or or you know something else please and and again uh lou and i will always tell you nobody can know everything so um uh, sometimes out here while we're we're actually looking right at the, the funnel cakes here and drooling. So if our mind goes off into funnel cakes and we get the, the wrong date, don't hesitate. Don't hesitate to go, oh, you said it was 1870. It's really 1873. What's the matter with you? So uh, anyway, we're, we're outside. But before we go right to the boardwalk, Lou and I have decided uh, uh, to take just a little uh, side trip. Where, where are we, Lou? Well, I think it makes sense, Jim, you know, having gone in from the inside and, and talking about mm-hmm. uh, sort of setting up the story and the theming, then we need to sort of continue as part of the hotel experience out to the pool area because that very much is an important part. And certainly there's clear inspiration that came from its namesake, which is Luna Park. Right. And and for those of you who listened uh, uh, to show uh, 310, and you should because there will be a written test. Uh, <laughs> next time you go to a meet and greet with Lou, there'll be a written test on this. And, and, and again, it's not multiple choice. It's only short answer, so you need to know. Uh, you know that the boardwalk uh, was set in the time period of um, uh, 1920s, 1930s, and, and they combined elements of not only the Atlantic City uh, boardwalk, but also uh, Coney Island. Co- Coney Island had its own boardwalk, and and uh, also had uh, and a big, huge elephant hotel, and and many similarities to Atlantic City. Now, Luna Park uh, Pool here is uh, is uh, very important uh, in in terms of telling part of that story, and a lot of people just again uh, miss this entirely. They go and they say, "Oh, well, it's a it's a carnival atmosphere out here." No, it's Luna Park. Um, the uh, uh, the very first there was Sea Lion Park, which was a a, a small amusement uh, uh, venue there in Coney Island, and but the first really big amusement park was Steeplechase uh, Park, George Tilliou uh, Park, and uh, George Tilliou was a, a, a smart guy. One of the things he saw was uh, in uh, 1901 at the Pan American Exposition. That's basically a World's Fair was the very first uh, what we would call illusion ride. Um, and it, it was uh, created by um, Frederick Thompson and Elmer Skip uh, Dundee. It was called A Trip to the Moon. And so 
you paid your money, you went into this uh, uh, auditorium, there was this uh, uh, airship that you boarded, and you looked out through uh, portholes, and you saw projected on the walls planets and outer space and, and comets flying by, and, and the ship was being rocked, and it was so realistic. There was a newspaper report that said uh, men screamed and women fainted. And there's about 30 people in, 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 in the airship. And then once it stopped, you exited into this auditorium, which was uh, done sort of almost like a cave on the moon. And there were these little moon guides that would come up and give you a piece of uh, cheese, because we all know that the moon is made of green cheese. Uh, very, very, very impressive. But George Tilley was smart enough to go, look, this is only going to be here for one year at the World's Fair. I'm going to bring it to Steeplechase Park. And he did for the 1902 season. And by golly, it was a huge hit. And at, at that particular point, um, uh, Thompson and Dundee took a look and said, you know, we could do this. So um, uh, they, they got the area that was Sea Lion Park, and they, uh, they transformed it into the second large um, uh, Coney Island amusement park called Luna Park. And remember, the name of their attraction was uh, A Trip to the Moon, and uh, in Latin, moon is Luna. And also, Luna was the name of the airship that you took uh, to go to the moon. And, uh, but, of course, Dundee also pointed out that, uh, by golly, his sister's name uh, was Luna. And, and Thompson and Dundee are uh, referenced uh, here at, at the boardwalk. Uh, on the boardwalk, there's a shop, uh, Thimbles and Threads, and it has F. Thompson, proprietor. That's Frederick Thompson. And uh, uh, upstairs, uh, uh, inside in the interior, you see Dundee Sundries uh, serving the boardwalk since 1902. Well, that's Elmer Dundry, Dundee. And um, uh, again, serving since 1902, that's because that's when uh, Trip to the Moon was brought to Steeplechase Park. Well, Luna Park opened uh, in 1903 and lasted until 1944. Did you know any of this, Lou? Of course I come. <laughs> don't we all? Don't we all have all these dates and names memorized? And, and, and as we look out here, uh, we see actually references uh, to Luna Park. You know, uh, one of the things that might, might uh, come up to you is, what are all these elephants doing out here? By a pool, and 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 again, the uh, the logical assumption is, oh well, it it must be the circus, or the circus came to Coney Island, or whatever. No, in Luna Park, they had their own private herd of elephants that they let roam freely through the park. Believe it or not, and one of the most popular attractions at Luna Park was elephant rides. Now. I don't know how many of you know about elephants or about cleaning elephants. or uh, And cleaning elephants is an awful lot like you see in cartoons and all that with, with the long uh, brushes and you're trying to scrub the back and, and, and all of that. Well, they were smart enough to figure, you know, this is time-consuming. This is a, a pain in the butt, but elephants smell. Why don't we just take them out, trot them out to the Atlantic Ocean, and they'll bathe in the ocean? And not only will they bathe out there, that saves it, but it's great publicity because people see these elephants running around in the, in, in the ocean, they're squirting water and all this, and then they go, well, instead of going to Steeplechase, I want to go to Luna, Luna Park. And so they, they, go, uh, they go trotting back. But, you know, Lou, I'll bet there's something in the Luna Park pool that you do know, right, that relates to a famous Disney animated theme film? So when we were talking about Luna Park, I was thinking about... The, well, the first thing I thought yeah. about when you were talking about the, the trip to the moon was wondering how much of that was... 
listen, certainly Walt Disney was brilliant and a brilliant storyteller, but you wonder how much inspiration he got from many other places, not just here in this country, but uh, around the world. Uh, and I wonder how much inspiration he took from Trip to the Moon for his Rocket to the Moon for Disneyland in 1955. Well, are you accusing Walt Disney of, of plagiarism? You, you know, because <laughs> Thompson and Dundee were originators. They actually created another ride, which was a submarine ride, where you went down into the submarine, you looked out the portals, you could see mermaids, and the submarine went under an ice cap. I think that Walt Disney was smart enough <laughs> To take inspiration from ideas and stories that would resonate and would work. And certainly their 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea attraction, uh, I'm sure, was part of the inspiration for his idea to bring it over to Disneyland as well. You're, you're probably absolutely uh, uh, correct. You know, Walt had it. You know, Walt, people think, say, Walt was such a great inventor. And no, he was really more of an innovator. And what innovation is, is you take something that's already existing and you look at it differently. You know, you reconfigure it with other parts or you take a look at it from a different perspective. And uh, uh, so, you know, since these attractions were so popular in Luna Park, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that Walt took a look at that. And in the back of his memory, because Walt had this magnificent memory, he never forgot anything. And he thought we could recreate this for a new generation with the new technology uh, that we have. But getting back to the question, what's in the Luna Park pool from a, a, a classic Disney animated film? Well, it goes back to your, the elephants that you were talking about. Mm -hmm. There are, you can find the Dumbo tiles around the pool. Yep, flying Dumbo. And, and Dumbo has absolutely nothing to do with with uh, uh, Coney Island at all. That, uh, so, although one of the amusement parks actually had a, a attraction called the Flying Pigs, which you had these huge pigs and you got on, and, and they were on this rotating thing, so you'd be lifted up in the air and you'd spun around and go up and down. and all. See, but Disney, Disney probably never heard of that one, but it, it worked through that. Now, also out here, uh, you see the uh, Keister Coaster, and uh, keister, of course, is, is a slang term. It comes from the, the, uh, a German word which means uh, rump or uh, a rear end. And so for the 200 feet on that, you're going down on your, your rear end. And, it, and it's done up to look like a wooden roller coaster, which were very popular at, at, at Coney Island. Now, the one thing that people always talk about is that big clown face at the bottom that you come come sailing through. And I know there are some people who don't like clowns. Can to you some people, that? To some people, it's the big, scary clown face. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, I'll have you know that you... If you think that the chairs yeah. inside the lobby scared you, go take a look at the big clown face outside. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll have you know that I used to be a clown. I worked at Six Flags Magic Mountain as a clown. Schlocko the Clown. So we can talk about that some other time. I don't want... Don't... You're creeping me out. I need to unremember that now. And, and, and Ron Schneider worked there as uh, Professor Spillikin, and then he left, and I came in. I didn't even know who Ron Schneider was, and I got to be Professor, the second Professor Spillikin at Six Flags Magic Mountain. But anyway, uh, with clowns, there are several types. There's the, the white face, there's the auguste, which has sort of a mixture of flesh tones and colors, and, and then there's the tramp clowns like Emmett Kelly and uh, Red Skelton's Freddy the Fle Freeloader, all of that. Uh, but white, white face is just really scary because they just seem so unreal to kids. And here we got this white face clown. Now, there were a lot of clowns at Coney Island because, again, that was a, a, a form of, uh, of entertainment. And clowns were very, all, all three of those uh, versions were very popular at, 
at, at, at the uh, various amusement parks. At, at Steeplechase, they had what was called the Blowhole Theater. Now, I know your minds are probably <laughs> creating all sorts of things, but one of the things... Uh, you know, we d- discussed about the flip-flap uh, railway is they would charge people to, to see people on an attraction, whatever. They they formed an area outside of an attraction that um, it looked like a, a wooden floor, but, but it had... Um, these vents in there that would blow up air, so women's dresses would would blow up, and 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 you could see their knickers and 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 their ankles for crying out loud, and all of this. And then they it, it, to also increase the amusement, they would have a, a white faced clown, and he would go up to you, and and while you were taken by surprise and all of this, he had this paddle, and he would smack you on 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 the rear end, and it would make a slapping sound. So it was called a slap stick which is why the comedy in the 1920s films and all of that, silent films, were called slapstick. This is where it came from. And in the queue lines, talk about interactive queues. This is probably where <laughs> Disney got the idea. They would sometimes have a, a clown or, 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 or a guy with an electric cattle prod. And so if people were st- complaining about standing in line, you know, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I, I don't have my magic plus or whatever, they would take the cattle prod and they would look at the most tender area of your body and put it there, you know, and you'd shout and then everybody else would just be an amusement and 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 it, it just seemed to pass it the was time like, it was like next gen for the 20s like that's how they right. made their cues so so there's all all of those clowns and and i was also telling lou a little earlier there's a disney connection uh one of the cartoon series that inspired walt was called out of the inkwell by max fleischer and dave fleischer uh fleischer's went on to do betty boop and the popeye cartoons and the superman cartoons but their first successful cartoon series uh, was called Out of the Inkwell with Coco the Clown. So there'd be an ink bottle on, on the artist's desk and an animated clown, uh, Coco, would, would come out and then he would interact in the live-action world and cause mischief. And Walt, of course, did a reversal of that. So when he did the Alice comedies, he took that idea but had a real live girl interacting in a cartoon world. Well, that little Coco the Clown was rotoscoped, which is another invention by the, the Fleischer brothers, where you film live action and then you put it on, a, 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 you project it onto a cell and you trace it over so you get very realistic human uh, movement. Well, the person doing Coco the Clown was Dave Fleischer. And the reason he was doing the clown is because he worked at a clown in Coney Island. And, and according to family legend, he had Max come down and film him doing clowns. And that's where they got the idea of, you know, doing this whole series but none of that has anything to do at all it's just because i love hearing the sound of my own voice nothing to do at all with the clown that clown with that big huge open mouth you guys know where that comes from it's that traditional uh, midway game attraction that uh, was very popular was introduced back then is still popular today i'm sure you've been to the midway carnival booth where um where they have several clown heads and they have an open mouth and you're given a water gun and you and the people next to you are shooting water into the clown's mouth to blow up the balloon on the top to see who can blow it up you know, and pop it to, 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 to win the prize. There's a variation of that out on uh, Disney's boardwalk where it's the auto race where you're pumping in water for the, the cars to go. So that's what the clown is doing there. That's why there's water in the clown's mouth. Uh, I just can't get past the fact that now I look at you and I think of Pennywise from Stephen King's <laughs> It. So, 
Oh, uh, uh, listen, if, 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 I, if I trotted out my, my entire past here, you would, you know, you, you, you would go as pale as a China doll uh, clown. Now, uh, we, we see a, fer- a blue Ferris wheel over there in the, the kids' area and all that. Um, the leaping horse uh, libations here, uh, it, it's done up like a carousel, and we see carousel horses uh, uh, along the top. But actually, the name of that and, and the big picture we see on the side, we see a, a woman on a, on a horse, you know, and, and they seem to be falling. Uh, this actually relates to a, an attraction that was at the Steel Pier at uh, uh, Atlantic City. Atlantic City had a steel pier, which was uh, right across from the boardwalk. It was about a thousand feet long. And uh, Doc Carver came up with the idea of a diving horse attraction. Uh, uh, supposedly, he was uh, on a horse going across a wooden bridge, and it started to partially collapse, and the horse dove in, into the water. And so Carver thinks, this is a great idea for entertainment. But it'd be even cuter if we had a cute girl in a bathing suit on top of the horse. And um, so that's, that's what they did at the Steel Pier. In 1924, a, a teenager, Sonora Webster... Uh, got the job and and it was very popular she ended up marrying uh, Al Carver and so she's Sonora Webster Carver but in 1931 what happened because horses don't dive off the thing like you know yes jackknife you know (laughs) swan dive cannonball no basically what happens is is the diving platform and I've seen a diving horse act out in uh, uh, California at Pacific Ocean Park basically what happens is the uh, platform sort of tips you know, so the horse is actually skidding uh, um, down, and so 40 feet down into the tank. Well, in 1931, uh, the, the mechanism jammed, the horse got skittish, it, it finally released, and uh, so uh, Sonora hit the, uh, the water uh, badly, and she detached both of her retinas. So she was blind, but she continued uh, doing the Diving Horse Act for years and years, and in fact, it was the basis of uh, the 1991 uh, Disney movie Wild Hearts uh, uh, Can't Be Broken. So if you've never seen that film, now you can go out and and do that and then rush to the boardwalk and take a look at that. And the other um, reference to that is actually on the boardwalk itself, which is where we're going to be heading, because when they built ESPN, I thought, oh, my gosh, take a look at that that building. It's modernistic. It really doesn't fit in with, with the theme of the 20s and the 30s on the boardwalk. And just recently... You know, taking a closer look at it, and and I I heard from a friend. You know, well, have you considered this, Jim? And so I did the research. The top of the ESPN building is done up like the diving tank that Sonora would go into. So those loops and all of that—that's not futuristic. All of that—that that is part, and and that's why you got flags up there too. It's part of the diving uh, tank for Sonora. But uh, what do you say, Lou? Let's head out to the boardwalk. How about that? Sounds good. So, Jim, we've made it out to the boardwalk, one of my favorite places on property, as we're approaching one of my favorite times on property, which is dusk. And this is sort of the time where the boardwalk starts to become active. It really becomes alive at light. And we'll talk more about what this concept of the boardwalk was and and how it really came to be. But I want to sort of segue from what we were just talking about Mm -hmm. to where we are. Because what we're going to do is sort of take a virtual trip. We're going to start over by ESPN and virtually walk around the boardwalk. But you were talking about Sonora Carter and how the ESPN club mm-hmm. is built to look like that tank that she would have uh, jumped into or fallen into, as the case may be, with her horse. But, you know, as Disney is wont to do, they take an obscure name or an obscure reference like that, and 
they give them their credit. They pay homage to them in some different ways, and she is no exception. And a lot of people might not know where else here at the boardwalk they could find her name. I, and that's right. Do, do you want to share that? Not only the, the vice presidential suite here at the boardwalk is named the Sonora Suite, and that's because of Sonora Carver, and the presidential street, uh, suite is the Steeplechase uh, suite. But, uh, you know, as we were walking out here to the boardwalk, we saw a, a sign on the side here. And, you know, sometimes you don't need to know historical figures. Sometimes you don't need to know an Imagineer's name or, or you know, uh, a, a historical reference. Because uh, what name did we see, buddy? So as you walk from the breezeway from the Luna Park pool out to the boardwalk area, uh, past the arcade and by the Wyland Gallows, you'll see a directory sign there. And the Disney Vacation Club Villas over at the Boardwalk Villas, uh, like all the DVC resorts, has a community hall where you can go to watch movies or rent uh, or uh, play games or whatever it may be. And if you look carefully, and it's like another name we'll find here on the Boardwalk in a little while, it's a name that uh, if you sort of just look at it and read it word for word, it doesn't make any sense. But when you say it out loud, Fair S. Wheel, you see that uh, the name is actually making reference to the Ferris Wheel ride. Actually, it's Ferris W. Ehlers. So it's Ferris Wheelers. But 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 you're close there. And 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 I know one of your favorites, of course, is the proprietor of the uh, Boardwalk Bakery. And what is his name? Again, it's if you look at the proprietor's name, you might think it's it's like a uh, um, an Osh Popham. It's like a, a real name or has mm-hmm. a reference. But it's Hugh G. Croissant, and if again, if you say it out loud, if you say it quickly, it's huge croissant, which you can actually find inside the Boardwalk Bakery. Ab- abso- absolutely, and so that that's fun, and 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 I, I think that's wonderful that the Imagineers, um, and they do this at the parks too. You know, they put in all of these references, but they put in references that even if you have no background whatsoever, you can enjoy, like like the dentist office at uh, Disney. Uh, Hollywood Studios and uh, and the talent office over there too. So, you know, saying the names out out loud, it, it's fun. It's it's something that again, if you don't notice it, it doesn't impact your uh, experience. But if you do know it, it does uh, uh, in, enhance it. Now, well, the, well, the thing mm-hmm. I like about I mean, as long as we're talking about Hugh yeah. or Mr. Croissant, as I like yeah. to call him, um, the thing that that always fascinates me about a name like that is. That they don't just put a name there that's that's a play on words, but they create an elaborate backstory for them, right? And you were talking about sort of the, the dentist and, and the confectionery and all those. And there is no great big book of Imagineering. There is no place that people can find them. But they create these elaborate backstories, as they did for Huge Croissant and the Pie Stretcher and everything else, that you can't really find anywhere. Um, and so I always found it interesting that they, that they create them, but there really is no place to sort of get the story out other than maybe Jim Corcus and The Vault of Walt. Available at Amazon.com. I, I, I know, and 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 that's uh, uh, part of the uh, uh, sadness. Do we do we have time for me to go off on a tangent for two minutes, three minutes here? Listen, we went down the whole scary clown path, so we might as well go down another one. Okay, because because these are two stories about Old Key West that I just <laughs> confirmed this week. Just confirmed this week, and you think Old Key West? Okay, that's the fictional Conch Flats and. It, 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 it's designed, it, it was the first Disney Vacation Club. It's designed like, you know, uh, the, the Florida Keys and, and all of that. Okay. Lou, maybe you know the answer to this. Why is it called Olivia's Cafe? And what is it about that restaurant that is unique compared to any other restaurant on Disney property? 
the shrimp and grits <laughs> and the uh, the oh my god I can't remember the name of the burger the burger that comes in a rectangle it probably has nothing to do with food or the fact that they have pictures of all the DVC members outside none none whatsoever unfortunately although I do like the 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 food there especially at lunch never been there for breakfast or or dinner but for lunch conch frit oh conch fritters with the little I'm sorry okay okay yeah we'll go through that well we were also talking about uh, Miller's Ale House out here <laughs> off of Disney property has funnel fries now funnel cake fries so anyway. The, here's two Olivia stories. You don't see them in print anywhere else. How wonderful this is. It used to be part of the training uh, for the cast members. Olivia's Cafe. This is Olivia's house. And she was a great cook. People said that she needed to open up her own kitchen. She didn't have enough money. Uh, you know, and, and she said, but I'll open up my own pro- my own kitchen instead of a, a, a restaurant. But I, I And I've got this huge table but I don't have enough chairs or silverware or plates. So people who come will have to bring their own. So next time you're at Olivia's Cafe, take a look. The chairs are all different. The silverware is different. The plates are different. You even have plates hanging up on uh, around on the wall there for, for regulars to come back and grab their plates so they can have that. Outside is the gurgling suitcase um, uh, a bar. Uh, any idea why it's called that? It, it does relate to uh, what we're going to be talking about, about Coney Island and Atlantic City. No clue? Okay, what happened is during Prohibition, people would go down to the Keys to get alcohol. They would put them in their suitcase to smuggle. During Prohibition, they still do it now in 2013. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And then they put them in their suitcase. They're smuggling them back up. So custom officials, law officials would grab a suitcase and shake it to see if it gurgled. You know, so you could hear the liquid. So that's where the gurgling suitcase bar. So anyway, that's another example of, yes, there's these wonderful, rich um, uh, uh, stories. But, you know, I, I'm sure I'm sure there are people who uh, worked at Disney for, for years, even at Olivia's, and have no idea about any of that at all. But yeah, because, because I think that's yeah. one of those things that, unless you know that there's a backstory... You know, how or why would a guest be prompted to ask, you know, what's the story of Olivia's? What's the story of the bakery? What's the story of the confectionery? Well, actually, people go, what's that story? Let me go to WDW Radio <laughs> and pull up these podcasts. Well, let's, let's talk about uh, the boardwalk. The very first boardwalk, of course, was at Atlantic City. And um, uh, it, it was about eight feet wide and uh, about a mile long. And, and eventually it became so popular it became uh, 60 feet wide and 6 miles long. Now the Disney Boardwalk is um, 35 feet wide and uh, 1,300 feet long. I ho- See, you be, should be taking notes for that test. Uh, and um, again, the whole concept of a boardwalk was, uh, by golly, uh, we don't want them, you know, dragging uh, sand, uh, you know, from the beach into the into the hotels, into the stores, whatever. But but also, some people came to the beach and they didn't want to go out on the beach. The beach was filthy, you know. And and they're in these long dresses and, and all of this. And and sometimes invalids would go there uh, to uh, recuperate. So they would use the boardwalk. And and again, some of the invalids would want to get around. And so some smart guy got a bunch of old wooden wheelchairs and so would have rolling chairs, rolling people up and down um, uh, the uh, boardwalk. And in the 1920s, they had over 3,000 rolling chairs. My understanding is uh, they're starting to bring back rolling chairs into the boardwalk. Here at Disney, we have the uh, Surrey bikes instead taking 
taking their place. And and if you haven't done that, that that's a wonderful trip. Have you done that with your family, go around? So the Surrey bikes are wonderful, right? And they're really not like the roll. Listen, I remember being in Atlantic City yes. uh, in the 80s, and they had sort of these wicker mm-hmm. rolling chairs, which obviously over time, they they weren't rolling wheelchairs. They looked less um, medical and right. more formal, more relaxing, and, and they had padding in them, and they had covers on them. And it was a nice way to sort of get from one end of the boardwalk to another. They went away. It's good to hear that maybe they're coming back uh, now, especially now as, as a Jersey store continues mm-hmm. to, to try and rebuild. These are sort of more like the quadricycles, mm-hmm. which are a lot of fun. You can get a, a single bench or a double bench. You can rent them on a half hour. I think it's 20 or $22 uh, for, per half hour. And it's a beautiful way to, uh, to wander the promenade. It goes completely around, past the Swan and Dolphin, past the Yacht and Beach Club. It's a wonderful ride because you see in front of us now, Jim, it's mm-hmm. primarily flat right. until you get to the Epcot Hill of Death, <laughs> right? So uh, if you uh-huh. think the little kids are going to be able to pull their weight, that's a much steeper. <laughs> uh, it's great going down, going up, despite which way you may go. <laughs> <laughs> is uh, is a little bit harder, but you have to kind of work for that for the hill. Now, do you get out and push or no? Uh, and, I, don't, I don't even pedal. I'm just, okay, <laughs> okay. And no wonder those kids are, are, are going crazy. And and do you think it would take? And I've never gone on these uh, uh, bike series, but do you think it would take about a half hour to to go around, or should people uh, factor in more time than that? I think you could do it in a half hour, um, especially if you do the hill first, you <laughs> I would get out of the way first. It's all downhill from there is basically what you're saying. Okay. Um, so, again, we have we have the boardwalk out here. And, again, for your test, by the way, there are 300,000 screws in, in the herringbone wood pattern uh, out here. And, and the wood has been uh, chemically treated, uh, you know, to, to, to prevent weathering and all this. So this is going to last for... Uh, 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 quite a long time. So uh, we've already talked about ESPN down there, and we, we've talked about the uh, uh, Boardwalk uh, uh, Bakery. Uh, I have no clue how Cuisinas fits in with the, the 20s and 30s and, and, and the Boardwalk. I, I, I don't know if I even know how Spoodles uh, fit, fit in well, with that. Well, it's Spoodles. I, so how I was able to justify Spoodles was it was that uh, Mediterranean-inspired uh, food, it was known as Cuisine of the Sun, right? So I figured, mm-hmm. okay, the sun, the boardwalk, the shore, it's a stretch, but you make it work because they had awesome appetizers there. So, I, And I dug Spoodles a lot. I, I love Cuisine as well, too. That opened back in uh, August of 2009, obviously mm-hmm. Iron Chef, Cat Cora. Still that Mediterranean-inspired with a little bit of Greek roots and Mississippi upbringing. So you got, you got an, I, the lamb. It's <laughs> awesome. A lot of nice Greek comfort food in there. Again, I keep going back to the food as well. So... Um, I understand where they sort of had the sun-inspired cuisine, maybe a little bit of a stretch for cuisine, but I dig the food anyway. I, 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 I never realized that uh, WDW Radio had changed into a food blog. It's, it's, but, it's just, I use the Disney stuff as sort of my, it's my gateway into the, just to get to talk about food. You know, I, well, I, I was hoping for a funnel cake, you know. <laughs> my first funnel cake was at Knott's Berry Farm out in California, and then fortunately they started to have them at, at fairs and... Uh, uh, carnivals, things like that. Well, let's go. To, let's go to something we do know, which is um, uh, seashore sweets. Seashore sweets, and which I think has probably the most direct connection, especially to Atlantic City. Not just because of the taffy and the candy, but because of what you can find inside. Do you want to talk about saltwater taffy? 
I love salt water. We could talk about how salt water taffy came. It was a mistake. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Salt water taffy was a mistake. When a, uh, when a storm hit, a lot of the taffy had been... Um, it had gotten wet from the the sea air and the the sea water, and the doors the the doors of the candy store had had flown open, and so some of that that uh, mist and all of that had got in there. Yes, and a little girl, as legend goes, a little little girl comes in the next day and asks for a piece of taffy. And he says, "Well, all we have," and he's saying half jokingly, "is saltwater taffy. We don't have regular because it wasn't called saltwater taffy; it was just regular taffy. All we have is saltwater taffy." She bought it. She left. She must have told her friends because the next day everybody else came in asking for saltwater taffy. And hence, the rest is history. And, and that store owner was uh, David Bradley, and it was in uh, 1883. And, and you will confirm that I am doing this without notes, right? Not even on my hand here, <laughs> right? Okay. Um, and so, yeah, he, he was just being a smart aleck, and she, and she being gullible went, oh, okay, we'll have that. There is no salt water in saltwater taffy to, to this day. But there is saltwater taffy sold in uh, Seashore Suites, but it's got... Goofy's picture on it. It's in those prepackaged uh, uh, bags there. Well, the storyline there, outside you see um, uh, 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 two sweet uh, young ladies. Those were sisters who came to compete in the uh, Miss America contest. And when neither of them won, they just decided uh, to stay because they liked uh, the area so much. And, and, and they opened up um, their own uh, shop. And, and, of course, the Miss America contest started... Uh, in it in it uh, Atlantic City 1921 it was there for about 85 years uh, 2007 moved to, to Las Vegas and uh, inside you'll see a lot of um, uh, references to Miss America right right so around the entire top uh, where the where the walls meet the ceiling you can find pictures of all the Miss America winners going back to that very first Miss America pageant from 1921. Um, to 2007. All the way up to 2007, including the Miss America winner, Leanza Cornette, who is? Uh, of course, uh, she was the first cast member to assist. Uh, she was Miss America in 1993, by the way. She was the first cast member in 1991 uh, to assist in the portrayal of Ariel in uh, Voyage of the, the Little Mermaid. And Leanza then went on to a career as a, a television host and uh, and uh, uh, personality, and and Lou is is uh, uh, sort of testing you there because when when he says uh, all the Miss America winners, he's absolutely correct. Except there there there's a, a couple of speed bumps. You'll notice that there are no photos from 1928 to 1932. That's because there was no Miss America contest held that year. And you'll notice that there is um, uh, uh, one winner. Um, uh, her last name's Campbell. Uh, uh, 22 to 23. She is the only person to win Miss America twice, and and so uh, she is up there. And she's and, like the Grover Cleveland of the Miss America. I, uh, <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> I I don't know if I would describe her that way. I don't know if it's gentlemanly uh, to describe her that way. And and of course for the Miss America contest, uh, it, it was a promotion again to sort of extend the summer. Uh, for people to, to stay at the Atlantic City uh, boardwalk uh, longer. A very, very successful promotion. In fact, a, as you go in right to the right-hand side in a plexiglass uh, uh, case is an actual uh, robe and, and, and tiara and scepter. And uh, there are uh, framed souvenir programs and, and tickets. And uh, as I was pointing out to Luke, uh, people always say, well, Jim, how can I start to be a Disney historian? And... 
uh, one of the ways is you've got to take a look because over there heading towards the restrooms, there's a little plaque on the wall that lists the, the, the dozen institutions and people who donated items for that. And I will bet that if you search the Internet, you won't find a picture of that plaque anywhere because I looked. And maybe you're better than I am. Yes, you are better than I am. Uh, you know, you won't find it. And for Miss America, of course, they had the swim car- suit competition, which was called the Bather's Review. And then they had the rolling chair parade where they'd put them in the rolling chairs and they'd roll them on the boardwalk. And it, it made me think, you know, WDW Radio does all these Disney cruises. <laughs> How come there's no swimsuit competition for Miss WDW Radio? You have the, you'd have the different, you know, levels, so 10 and under and, you know, 11 to uh, 17, whatever. And, and I think you should also have men. And, and I think for men, there should be a category that I know I would win, you know, most looking alike monstro the whale uh in a bathing suit you know so you know i i think i think you guys should push uh, lou for a a miss wdw uh, radio and there could be a talent competition and a swimsuit well lou doesn't seem very excited we about have a lot that. of we have a lot of surprises planned for our trip on the fantasy this year <laughs> Well, that's why it's called a fantasy, isn't it? Okay, so we, 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 should, we should go on further. We should go to... Uh, Wait, so here's your, here's your yes. trick question. Here's your, so okay. in 1922... Yes. What celebrity was a judge of the... That, then it was, it was the Atlantic City pageant that next year it was the Miss America pageant. Who was a celebrity judge? Oh, well, that's obvious. It's Bob Barker, right? <laughs> <laughs> he was around from the beginning. Like Dick Clark, I think, was, was around back then. Norman Rockwell. No, did not know that. I I wonder if he ever painted a Miss America um, uh, portrait. Norman Rockwell was a a good uh, friend of Walt Disney, uh, too. So another Disney connection, all sorts of dotted connections. And uh, so the next next stop on our trip is going to be Flying Fish uh, Cafe. Anything you have to say about the food, Lou? I can and will do a full review of Flying Fish Cafe, one of the best meals I've ever had anywhere, anywhere. Ever, not just in Walt Disney World. We need to go anywhere in the whole wide world. world. Oh my gosh! (laughs) See now, I'm I'm just fascinated by it because because of uh, again it it, it's uh, uh, connection. It 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 references a a roller coaster at Coney Island called uh, Flying Turns, and one of the ride vehicles was called the Flying Fish. You know, just like we have um, uh, ride vehicles on on Snow White that were named after the dwarves and. On Mr. Toad, that you know, were named. At, oh, wait a minute! For for those kids growing up in Florida, that makes no sense to you at all. But those of you out in Disneyland, I hope you're enjoying those rides. Okay, um, so Flying Fish was the name of one of the ride vehicles. When you go in, uh, you'll see that the the backs of the booze curve up and down, so it's like a, a roller coaster. In the back, they have a, uh, a lighted uh, uh, Ferris wheel. Um, uh, uh, you have the flying fish actually there. They're in pairs on a um, parachute ride where, where people, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, would get married. Uh, did your folks ever tell you about the parachute ride? My, uh, my parents grew up uh, in New York. They grew up in Brooklyn. Coney Island was where they hung out. They took me there when I was a kid as well, too. And they talked about, they reminisced ad nauseum about... Uh, you know, the steeplechase. They talked about the parachute rides, which, you know, now we don't really see those kind of things anymore. But when you go in and you see what looks to be columns, if you pay close attention, you see that those fish are hanging from those same type of parachute rides that my parents talked about. The images on the wall are probably would, would very much be a sense of 
uh, nostalgia for them because that is what Coney Island looked like to them back in the in the 40s. And, and that mural really does reference uh, Steeplechase. In fact, they have have uh, the Steeplechase ride, and it's wooden horses, Bruce. They painted in wooden <laughs> horses. Uh, they're there for that. So uh, a wonderful place. I have never eaten in 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 the Flying Fish Cafe. Uh, Lou looked at me askance, but uh, but but that's uh, uh, true. But but as we walk out uh, further, we're at Promenade Pier, and and this is one of those stories of um, a, a Disney World that that never was. You know the story behind this, Lou. So uh, you know Crescent Lake, believe it or not, in this whole area, Jim. Mm-hmm. There are so many. Uh, the boardwalk could have looked like a much different kind of place, uh, not just what was on the boardwalk, but what would have been maybe out in the water as well. Because the, the idea of the boardwalk and not just the carnival games that we see a little bit farther down, but some of the rides, those classic rides, that the imagery that I think would very much sort of complete the picture of what the boardwalk was going to be uh, was supposed to be here as well. It was supposed to have uh, that lightest fer- light, lighted Ferris wheel and this midway uh, of our, of games as well too. Yes, absolutely. So Promenade Pier would have extended out into Crescent Lake. You would have the Ferris wheel out there. And and I can hear uh, Disney Legal in their cubicles turning over in their cubicles right now. You're going to put people on a Ferris wheel out in the middle of a lake, and how do you get them off? And, you know, do you realize the liability? And and also right down by ESPN, right over towards where uh, there's the... uh, uh, sort of where the wedding pavilion type area is out there uh, now. There was going to be a full-size carousel as well, and I'm sorry they, they didn't go with that. And and you notice, too, you know, sometimes we can tell the difference between yacht and beach as, as we're looking right now because we can see the color. One is, one is blue and one is uh, uh, sort of grayish. You can see the difference between the inn and the villas. So if you look over at the inside... And, and this is the regular people, the non-Disney Vacation Club members. And, and so it's sort of dull and, <laughs> and, and unhappy. And then over here on the Villas side, where you have the Disney Vacation Club members, you've got these beautiful, solid colors. you got the, the pinks and you got the, the blues and the yellows. And isn't it exciting? You know, it, it, it's the best-kept secret that, you know, in living color, uh, you know, uh, you, you should... Uh, uh, be over on this side. You know, we talked about Thimble and Threads. It's uh, 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 F. Thompson, who's the proprietor there. Uh, you know, one of the um, secrets that a lot of people don't understand is uh, uh, on the top of the one building, they have Crest O the Wave. Um, and do you know the story behind that, Lou? Would you like to share that? Okay. Well, it's because we're sitting in the wrong place. Because again, Crest O the Wave isn't a, a reference to. To Coney Island or Atlantic City, other than you know, there's waves out there, and and it's and it's certainly not a, a shop or a building or whatever. We're standing in the wrong place. If we were standing over by the yacht and beach club, we were looking over the boardwalk. One of the things we would see is the swans from the Swan floating in air. However, with the waves, now it looks like the swans are floating on top of the waves. And there, and there is the Jim Corcus aha moment of the day, right? <laughs> it's like the Morocco Pavilion and the, the colors of Tower of Terror, everything having to match up. I never realized that it was all about the visual, the sight lines. See, and, and there are people who work here at the boardwalk who don't know that a, as well. And, um, uh, you know, and the only reason I know that is because I, I worked for... Uh, uh, Kay Bundy and Disney uh, Adult Discoveries, and one of the things that we were 
planning on work, working on was a, um, uh, a walking tour of, of some of the Disney resorts. And so we were checking things out and we checked with the Imagineers. And, you know, that doesn't seem to fit in. What's, what's all that about? And so that's where that came out. And, and that's one of the reasons I love being on your show is, is uh, sharing this and sharing this with your listeners because it keeps the story alive. And, and I, I just imagine the happiness they have sharing it with their family and friends so that their family and friends look at them like, my gosh, what an You're a excellent. genius. You're a wow. genius. You're a genius. Disney should be hiring you right <laughs> now, you know? And, and so this will probably be popping up in, in guidebooks now and, and all of this. And, and it all started here on WDW Radio. Now, right next to that, of course, is uh, Jelly Rolls and um, uh, a dueling piano bar. A lot, a lot of fun. When I first came out to, uh, to Florida, they had um, Howl at the Moon. Uh, in Church Street Station. And, of course, Eisner saw that and how popular that was, and he says, well, we don't want people going to Church Street Station in downtown Orlando to see that. We're going to do something here. So, uh, Jelly Rolls, uh, any idea where the name comes from? Jelly Roll Morton. Absolutely. The self-proclaimed, because I'm don't want i not going <laughs> to yeah. say he's the inventor of jazz, yeah. because he is the self I mean, listen, good for him for promoting himself as the inventor of jazz. I invented the question mark, um, <laughs> like like um, Austin Powers. Um, but yeah, he uh, he proclaimed himself the inventor of jazz. He was a ragtime and jazz pianist and a composer, and he gave himself that moniker, much to the dismay of those other people who may have actually invented jazz. Well, and 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 again, that's that's one of those things that you know. How do you figure who was the first and? And, and all of that. And Jelly Roll Morton, of course, wasn't even his, his, his real name. It was like Frederick Moth, M-O-T-H-E, whatever. Um, but the very first jazz composition uh, that he did, and it was published, and again, it was the first jazz composition published. That's why, you know, he's using that as, as a springboard. Of, See, I invented this. I'm the first one to write it down. Uh, it was called Jelly Roll uh, Blues. And, and again, uh, he was described by his contemporaries as having a... Um, bumptious persona, <laughs> uh, which basically means that, uh, like Lou and I, uh, a smart aleck and uh, uh, fun-loving and all of that. So, uh, again, what a great place to, to name a, um, uh, a, a place uh, that has dueling pianos because jazz, of course, is improvisation. You're constantly having to jump in and, and do this. And, and it's important that he wrote down Jelly Roll Blues because... Uh, jazz, just like oral tradition, that's how it was passed to musicians. Most musicians couldn't read music. They would hear a song, and then they would play it, but sometimes they would play it with variations. They would speed up a part or slow down a part or add in a section or leave out a section. You know, So jazz was very improvisational. And so to have a dueling piano place where you're going to improv and you're going to have a, uh, a bumptious persona from the <laughs> piano players, uh, I, I think that that's uh, really neat. And then uh, right across, of course, is uh, the Atlantic Dance Hall. And in the 20s and 30s, um, uh, dance marathons, very, very important, uh, especially when the Depression hit. Uh, because you could earn money by being the last person <laughs> dancing on the floor. And so sometimes these would go on for weeks or even a month or more. And uh, uh, you're saying, well, were people just so desperate that they did it just for that one prize? Well, most of these contests were rigged, by the way. It, it, it was sort of like, uh, um, 
I, w I won't say there are any reality shows on TV now that are rigged, but, but basically they could see people were paying a quarter to come in and see. There were some people that there were the favorites, you know, mm -hmm. and so sometimes you'd, you'd negotiate things, you know, so that the favorite uh, would win. But you'd get in the marathon thing because you got three meals a day. However, you had to eat it while you were dancing. So you wore a little tray around your neck or a tray around your partner's neck and you were eating or you would write letters or, or, or things like this while you were dancing. And you had a roof over your head because uh, every so often you would be given a little break uh, so that uh, a doctor could look at you and there would be a cot. And for another quarter, you could go and you could watch these people trying to sleep. You know, how, how amazing is it? See, Disney is missing a huge bet here uh, on this. You know, uh, uh, tell people they, they can win a special Disney pin if they're the last person standing, you know, dragging their partner around the room there. But um, uh, uh, that's how that fits in with uh, the uh, Coney Island experience. And, and of course, we, we, we jump through um, something that uh, uh, Lou referenced, which is uh, it's called, believe it or not, Wildwood Landing. That's the official name. And that's where the four Midway games are, where you, uh, you do the, the water gun with the, the car race and the, the hoop toss and the uh, hidden innocent Cupid doll and... Uh, <laughs> Uh, all of that, and I will tell you uh, from past experience, these games here at least are <laughs> legitimate. Um, uh, you, you talked about my my uh, um, uh, storied past here. I, I I did work briefly as a barker at a carnival, and also worked uh, uh, the midway games at um, uh, Six Flags Magic Mountain for a while, and. Uh, as part of your training, you're shown how these are, are uh, rigged. So a basketball hoop uh, isn't round. It's, it's an oval, so you can't get in. Over here it is round, but it's smaller than regulation size, so you, you have to hit it right in the center. There's no you know, ifs, ands, or You have a legitimate chance to win here. You have a legitimate chance to win here, but isn't it interesting you're not winning Disney Plush. Mm -hmm. You're winning you know, a, a typical Carney game. Uh, stuffed toy, and as you realize, there are no stuffed Mickey Mouses anywhere on Walt Disney World property. None whatsoever. You cannot go into any store and get a stuffed Mickey Mouse. You understand that, right? It's a plush. It's a, it's a plush. plush because again, if it's stuffed, it means it was taxidermied. <laughs> it was dead, and it was taxidermied. So that that's the power of of uh, uh, Disney words. Now, now, Lou, did you ever walk on the Atlantic City Boardwalk or the Coney Island Boardwalk? I did. Um, I, as a kid, my parents took me to Coney Island, and I have very fond memories of Nathan's hot dogs. Um, mm -hmm. Again, bring it back to food. But I did spend a lot of time. Um, as a kid, my parents would go to Atlantic City a lot. We would spend a weekend there, spend the day on the beach, walking on the boardwalk at night in the casino. I mean, I wouldn't be in the casinos, but my parents would be in the casinos gambling away my college tuition or earning my college tuition, however it may be. Um, but, yeah, it, you know, and that's why I said for me, Jim, and I think for a lot of people who grew up in that area or visited Atlantic City back then, you can very much get a sense of that same type of feel, a lot of the inspiration, even just through the herringbone pattern of the boardwalk. You know, and, and, and again, you're, you're very observant because that was Stern's, uh, we talked about it in, in show 310, that uh, Stern's uh, uh, thrust is interpretation. So he's not looking for historical accuracy, histor historically exact, uh, more or less. What he's looking at is to create sort of a, um, a cinematic staging. 
you know, so you get that romanticized um, feeling about the the boardwalk, you know. And and Nathan's that's that very funny story because of course he worked for for Feltman's and he opened up his own um, thing and he was selling them for five cents instead of ten cents. And so Feltman said. Well, you don't want to get frankfurters from him. The reason he can sell those so cheaply is you notice you don't see any dogs on, on the boardwalk here, which is one of the ways that it became known as a hot dog. And so um, Nathan tried to, to win over the public by, yes, if you, if you bought a frankfurter, you could get a, uh, a, a free root beer or free beer, okay? And uh, that still didn't bring people in. So what he did, very clever, is he went to nearby doctor offices and he said, you can come to my stand and eat as much as you want for free as long as you're wearing your white coat and all of this. And so as soon as people saw doctors mm. eating at Nathan's, there they go. <laughs> and, and, and again, uh, uh, his, his fame came not from the Frankfurters themselves, but because in those days they didn't make hot dog buns. You got a roll and you had to slice it in half. And he was famous for you know boom 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 you know and and i think you know they should have hot dogs out here i think they should have a hot dog eating contest out here you know i i think they should have a swimsuit contest out here you know what's i think they should have um rum runners come out here streetmosphere come out here and they bring in the barrels but but of course it can't be beer because this is disney so it's root beer you know and 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 you know have the prohibition cops you know running running after what Iger never phones me up to ask any of these things (laughs) right but i I like the idea of imagining the boardwalk right Mm -hmm. imagining the boardwalk how differently it could be i want to go back to something we talked about quickly and you talk Mm -hmm. about streetmosphere performers at night that's when the boardwalk comes alive, right? There are street performers, mm-hmm. there's magicians, there's balloon artists, there's music. It, it, it really comes alive here, and it's one of my favorite places just to wander. I think it's, an, it's a hidden treasure. It's overlooked. Mm-hmm. They did an entire show, uh, which I'll link to in the show notes, about the boardwalk. But sort of this idea of what else the boardwalk could have been and maybe what it should have been. Because back in 1991, mm-hmm. as, as part of ISO's Disney Decade, we talked about the plans for the Ferris wheel mm-hmm. and the merry-go-round. Well, there were other plans as well, too. And, and Disney publicity had sort of put out a release saying you were not only going to have those things, but one of the other places we talked about above Jelly Rolls, one of my favorite places, oh, yes. is Walt's, Walt's Attic. Yes. That was actually supposed to be a restaurant. And there was also going to be two theaters out here, too. There was going to be a 900-seat theater that was going to have a show based on the song Under the Sea with The Little Mermaid. And there was going to be a second smaller theater with about 300 seats as well, too. This was really going to be and not just a, a dining and shopping, but an entertainment venue as well, too. And, and you know, they, uh, when some of those ideas started to go south... They, they thought about um, converting the attic into a small theater. They were going to do a, um, a briefly. And, and again, with Disney, as I tell people, everything Disney does is written in jello. It, you know, it can, be, it can be firm one moment and another second. God, uh, a, a show called Walt's Attic, which is why you've got all those um, wonderful uh, uh, antiques up there. And it would be a, a show sort of like Top of the World and, and all of that, but it would go through Walt's life in the 20s and 30s. And capturing some of those high point uh, uh, milestones, and you know what's amazing to me is the only way to get to the attic. And I've I've done presentations in there; it's just absolutely beautiful. But you got to walk all the way down. There is no outside access at all. And, 
And so that's one of my what were you thinking moments. Well, I, you know? I, I get it because it's meant to be now for the exclusive use of the Disney Vacation Club members. And by not having an outside entrance that anybody could walk up, I think that's what it does. And I think that's what adds to the charm is that there's usually nobody ever in there. If you want to go and sort of spend a relaxing vacation with a book or just sitting out on a beautiful view of Crescent Lake, Walt, uh, Walt Attic is the place to go. Right, and, and they wouldn't let us in there. I, I know they wouldn't <laughs> let us in there. I didn't even ask for them to let us in there. But, but yes, there's uh, just, uh, just as there were in the lobby and all that, there's uh, authentic uh, antiques in there, artifacts. There's wicker chairs. There's, there's those love chairs, uh, love seats that, that, that uh, uh, spin around and all that. It's a very, very nice place. No, but I, I was worried, you know, from a safety standpoint, if fire breaks out, you're running all the way down, you know, the screaming and on flames, you know. Well, hopefully that would never happen, but... <laughs> I know that, the, put it this way, I know that there's a way out. Yeah. There's not necessarily a way in. How's that? <laughs> yeah. But I, I want to uh, I want to finish off our, our tour of the Boardwalk Promenade with something else that was supposed to be that I'm sure most people probably never heard of, and are probably going to think we're making it up. Okay. Because in 1992, uh, something else was planned, not necessarily for the Boardwalk, but for the enjoyment of the Boardwalk guests, the Yacht and mm. Beach Club guests, mm. the Swan and Dolphin guests. Look, just as the monorail resorts, the contemporary, the Polynesian, and the Grand Floridian have the electrical water pageant every night. They thought about putting something out here as well, too. And atop floating barges with lots of neon and a story that was to be written by Andrew Lloyd Webber, right, was a show called Noah's Ark. You're making this up. <laughs> You're making this up. How can you possibly make these things up? Do you speak to your mother with that same tone of voice? No, you're absolutely right. And this was this was going to be uh, huge. And, and many times Disney has considered uh, uh, water shows. A- again, because of the success of the electrical uh, water pageant, you know, uh, at Pleasure Island, uh, there, there was going to be uh, a, uh, a light show, fireworks show, music show out um, uh, on Pleasure Island where basically... The this ghost uh, um, uh, steam wheeler from uh, 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 Merryweather Pleasure had sunk because uh, fireworks were being carried in there and they blew up and the whole bit and it would go through that. But yeah, Noah's Ark. Yeah, and Andrew Lloyd Webber, he 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 did write the score. It wasn't like. Hey, Andy, right. if you have a few minutes, would you give us a couple of ideas? No, he, and, and when we say Noah's Ark, we mean mm-hmm. the biblical reference to mm-hmm. Noah's Ark. And, and Andrew Lloyd Webber actually was a good choice. He had written Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat. Mm-hmm. He had written um, Jesus Christ Superstar. So, yeah, there was going to be a Bible-inspired water show right in the middle of Crescent Lake. I, yes, amazing, isn't it? Amazing. And, and it came very, very close. Um, and I really don't have any idea other than the, the typical Disney reasons of, you know, finance or, or whatever, why that uh, um, well, dead ended. The, the legend that I had heard, as it was, was that uh, Don um, France, who was the producer and director mm-hmm. of Spectro Magic, um, he was in charge of the development. They built storyboards. They had models. This plane was in flight. Um, mm-hmm. If the legend is true, I was not there. Um, the, what I had heard was that Michael Eisner had gone to an equestrian show, was incredibly Im- impressed at the pageantry and the majesty, and came back and said, you know what, I changed my mind. We're going to go from Noah's Ark, and we're going to do an equestrian show called EQ. 
It was going to be a nighttime horse theme. Don't look at me like that. It was going to be a nighttime horse themed show. And then, from what I understand, they felt that this was a little bit maybe too much like Arabian Nights, which is out mm-hmm. over on, on 192, sort of that, that horse themed sort of Arabian Nights style show. Uh, they had taken that idea of Noah's Ark and they said, maybe we'll bring it over. Why don't we do this? Why don't we take it to MGM Studios? We could have it there. It'll be just like Fantasmic out in Disneyland. And they said, well, wait a minute. If we have Fantasmic, why don't we just bring It's a lot cheaper. Let's just bring Fantasmic out here from Disneyland. And that eventually was the, led to the demise of what I think could have been a very interesting uh, Noah's Ark show here. The Disney World that could have been Noah's Ark, Ferris Wheels, Carousels, uh, Walt's Attic Restaurant here on the boardwalk. You know, and, and maybe that's uh, a springboard for another uh, podcast, the Walt Disney World that never was. Now, I hadn't heard about EQ. It, it doesn't it doesn't surprise me because Michael Eisner was the type of guy who could churn out idea after idea after idea after idea. And, and again, very uh, emotionally inspired. I had heard uh, uh, through my sources, though, that, yes, Noah's Ark had been considered... To be moved because so much work had been done, and you've got all of that money invested. How how do you you know recover those costs? And and yeah, they were thinking that was going to go uh, in for Fantasmic. And in some ways, I wish it had because that would have been a, a unique experience. And uh, I'm still sort of sad that uh, Pocahontas was coming out when they built Fantasmic mm-hmm. because it's so Pocahontas themed with right. that mountain and all of that. And and I think there's so much more they can can do and and i love phantasmic out here but boy nothing beats seeing you know the mark twain come around the rivers of america and you've got all of the characters and you see the columbia as captain Hook's ship and all of that it is just so so cool well like you always say it's written in jello you never know if yeah. and when phantasmic may change when the when the scenes may change and the story may change and what may come out to that theater out there and uh, you know but getting back to the boardwalk um you don't have to, to, to stay here. You don't, ha- you don't have to sell one of your family members in order to, you know, uh, come here. That's one of the wonderful things about uh, Disney and the wonderful things about the Disney resorts is you can just come. And you can come and you can appreciate some of those things that we shared about the interior. You can experience some of the things that we shared about the exterior. And, and again, as Lou pointed out, uh, the outside boardwalk uh, in the day is different than the outside boardwalk uh, at at night, and as we sit here, we're, we're seeing the uh, the little lights uh, uh, start to come on, and, and and you can even sense uh, coming across Crescent Lake that that that, that feel that you know it, it it's going to be a different uh, a place, a different experience. Boardwalk Bakery in the morning for breakfast, coffee and a huge croissant for breakfast, flying fish strolling the promenade with your family or the one that you love at night and enjoying the entertainment, you're right. You don't need to stay here to enjoy all that the boardwalk has to offer, nor do you actually have to be sitting next to Jim Corcus to enjoy all Jim Corcus has to offer, because as you hopefully know, he's not only the author of the wildly popular revised Vault of Walt with all new stories in it, but the all-new book Who's Afraid of Song of the South, uh, Jim... I, I'm going to put the links in the show notes to where people can and should purchase both those books. Put it on your shelf, put it on your Kindle or your iPad, wherever it may be, filled with more fascinating stories. And you know I have to have you come back, not just so we could eat at Flying Fish, but so you could share more of these stories, more of the aha moments. Thank you very kindly to 
uh, promote my book, Slew. And, and uh, thanks to all of you who, who listen and who take a moment and come up and say, uh, Jim, thank you for sharing this information. And, and again, please share these stories uh, uh, with others. I, I enjoy it. You know, uh, Disney is, there really is a Disney difference. It's, it's a magical place. And, and, and give Jim credit. <laughs> and, and, and the magic is not just, uh, you know, in, in the parks themselves. It, it's, it's throughout the entire area. So uh, thank you again for the opportunity, Lou. I'm, I'm looking forward to doing this again with you sometime. I'm looking forward to the funnel cake. <laughs> <laughs> It's time for our Walt Disney World Trivia Question of the Week, where I ask you to test your knowledge of Walt Disney World trivia, history. Maybe I'll play a random sound clip or quote a line from an attraction or show, ask you to identify where in Walt Disney World you may have heard that clip. I'll then select one winner randomly from all the correct entries to win a Disney prize package. Before we get to this week's question, let's go back, review last week's question, and select our winner. So on our last show, we were talking about Valentine's Day as romance was in the air at Walt Disney World as part of limited time magic. So your question was simple. In what Walt Disney World attraction is Valentine's Day being celebrated all year long? I want to once again thank the hundreds of you that answered this one and answered it correctly because you all knew that the correct response was Walt Disney's Carousel of Progress. And you all knew that in that first scene, the father says to the audience, well, it looks like the Robins are getting ready to celebrate Valentine's Day today. What year is it? Oh, right around the turn of the century. And things couldn't be any better than they are today. Congratulations and thanks again to everybody who entered. You are playing for all of my audio walking tours of Walt Disney World's Magic Kingdom, a WW Radio luggage tag, button, and a signed copy of my Walt Disney World trivia book, Volume 2. And last week's winner is... Jack Brooks. So, Jack, congratulations. I'll get your package out to you right away. If you played last week and didn't win, thank you so much for playing. But don't worry, because here's your next chance to enter in this week's Walt Disney World Trivia Challenge. And so, once again this week, I want to ask you a question that may not test your knowledge of Walt Disney World history, because maybe you're a relative newcomer to the parks, but how much you pay attention to what you see, or maybe what you hear, or even the attractions that you visit. So, your question this week is once again simple. Where in the world, in the Walt Disney World, can you find Guano Joe? That's it. Where in the world can you find Guano Joe? You have until Sunday, March 3rd at 11.59 p.m. Eastern to email your answer to contest at www.radio.com. You'll once again be playing for all the audio tours, a luggage tag, button, a signed copy of the Walt Disney World Trivia Book Volume 2, and I'll even throw in a WW Radio mystery ticket. If you want to check the blog and past shows, find out what that ticket could be used for and what you may win with it. You'll find out why you want to hang on to that as well. So good luck and have fun. That's going to do it for this week's show. Thanks again for taking the time and tuning in this and every week. Don't forget, in addition to the podcast, which you can subscribe to and rate and review on iTunes, don't forget about our weekly live video broadcast and interactive chat every Wednesday night, 7.30 p.m. Eastern, over at WDW Radio Live. 
Every Wednesday at 7.30, we do the WW Newscast, where you can talk about and be part of the conversation as we discuss this week's Walt Disney World news. And if you can't catch it live, I'll post it on the blog, in the iTunes feed, and on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Radio. Also, be sure to visit the website for our daily blog posts, contest, photos, videos, and much more. You can also sign up for our free email newsletter and get daily updates delivered right to your inbox. There, you can also download the new free WDW Radio app for your iPhone and Android devices. You can connect with and talk with other Disney fans in our discussion forums and connect with me on Twitter. I'm at Lou Mangiello and Facebook.com slash WDW Radio. Also, be sure and check out the events page. Lots of events coming up, including the next Meet of the Month in Walt Disney World. It's going to be Sunday, March 24th in downtown Disney. And I'm happy to announce another new event that we have not announced previously WDW Radio at the movies. And on Sunday, March 24th, you can join us for an exclusive private screening of Disney's brand new Oz Great and Powerful at the AMC Downtown Disney Theaters. More than just having the theater to ourselves, the WW Radio family, everybody is going to get not just a ticket to Oz Great and Powerful, but two vouchers, one for a popcorn and a soda. And before the show, Jim Corcus and I are going to discuss the Disney and Oz connection and history and what else might have been in front of you, the live audience on stage, maybe have some time for some Q&A as well. Everybody's also going to get, we're also going to have a raffle for prizes, books, and more. Everybody who attends is going to get a free WW Radio event passport, an exclusive stamp just for that event. Everybody's also going to get a mystery ticket, and we're also going to have a post-movie gathering. I'll have some details with that coming soon, and of course, maybe a surprise or two. Tickets are just $20 per person and are limited. They are available on the events page over at www.radio.com starting Wednesday, February 27th at 12 o'clock Eastern. Again, that's for a Sunday, March 24th afternoon showing of Oz the Great and Powerful just for us, the WW Radio family at the AMC Theaters in downtown Disney. Be sure and visit the events page for more information and to get tickets, as well as our other events, including this summer. We'll be out to Aulani, July 15th through the 20th, and there are still tickets available for our trip to the Walt Disney Family Museum on Saturday, April 13th in San Francisco. Really excited about that early entry, special presentation, gift bags, surprises, and more, and many, many more events, including our trip on the Disney Fantasy November 2nd through the 9th, Seven Days in the Fantasy with our with fantasy with our very special guest, author Ridley Pearson of the Kingdom Keepers and Peter of the Starcatcher series of books. A lot of fun to be had there as well. Find it all over at the event page over at www.radio.com. Quick thanks to my partners and sponsors, Mouse Fan Travel. They are my official and recommended travel provider because it's who I use. So whether you're coming to Disney World, Land, Cruise Line, Adventures by Disney, or anywhere, Becky Mankin and her team of agents give you the best possible prices all available discounts, incredible personal service, and all at no additional cost to you. Visit them over at mousefantravel.com. When you're coming down to Disney World, maybe you want to stay in something a little bit larger, bring in the extended family. AllStarVacationHomes.com has more than 150 homes within just a couple of miles of Walt Disney World. And if you need to get a little bit of Disney magic delivered right to your door or your iPad or your Kindle device, Celebrations Magazine, you can subscribe Order back issues and find out more over at celebrationspress.com. And as always, my friends, and you are my friends whether we have met yet or not, all I ask is that if you like the show, please help spread the word. Let others know about it. Tweet out that you're listening. Share links on Facebook. Tell your friends. 
And please come by, rate and review the show over on iTunes. Very, very helpful. Very much appreciated. And finally, life is all about the three C's. Choice, change, and chance. So make a choice to take a chance and change your life. And I hope you all have a fantastic week this week. Thank you again so very much for listening. So until next time, see ya. Hi, Lou. It's Lauren Winnicker Kaplan from Hillsboro, New Jersey. I'm just calling because I'm really excited. I just completed an 11-mile run today in two and a half hours. And it's in prep for this coming weekend's Disney Princess Half Marathon. I have never run, ever. Uh, but I had two childhood girlfriends who were going to run the half, and it was an excuse to go to Disney World with them for a weekend. So I have been training, and I can't believe that the race is a week from tomorrow at God knows how early in the morning. But uh, I hope to see you there cheering on the sidelines. I may scream your name as I trace by you. But I'm so excited, and I also want to thank you because, It's your podcast that I run to, and they get me through a very monotonous uh, run that I do. So I'm definitely going to have to download some so I can listen to them as I do the half marathon next weekend. All right, Lou, thanks so much, and hope to see you next weekend. Bye. You've got a friend.